You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Blood Groove, Torso and Pinches, Ironside, MD, Jacob, Griffin, Justin, Scuttlebutt, Matt, Roger the Jolly, Hartman, James, Gingrich, Lisa, Clan Roland, Big Beard, Willie P, Schmarls, Buggy the Clown, Leslie the Spice Chonger, The Admiral Benbow, Misfit, Chairboat, Cannon Monkey, Axios, Gunsway Sally, Pitluck, The Sextant, Jack of the South Seas, Lost Again, The Navigator, Governor Roop, Gin Soaked Jim, Workman, Rum Runner, Skipper, Sawbones, Scarlet Dawn, Hayfay, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. For the past few episodes, we've been discussing some of the pirates active in the Indian Ocean in 1696. Mostly, we've been talking about the group of pirates who broke out of an Indian prison that same year. But they weren't the only pirates active in the region. There were more pirates congregated in the region here in 1696 than in... Well, you know, I need a couple of caveats here. I tend to break down the golden age of piracy into three sub-eras. There's the Buccaneers, the Pirates of the Round, where we are now, and the Pirate Republic at Nassau. During the Pirate Republic, there were more active pirates operating out of Nassau than in any other era of piracy. And really, that's still not that many. At their height, there were maybe a thousand, and that's a liberal estimate. During the Buccaneering Era, there were far more sea raiders active at one time, at their peak at least, than any other era, but many of those sea raiders were legal privateers and mostly honest about it. At the height of the Brethren of the Coast, when there were the most actual pirates in the Buccaneering Era, there were still only three or four hundred. Here in 1696 to 1697, the height of the Pirates of the Round Era, in numbers at least, there were somewhere upwards of 400 pirates operating out of St. Mary's and St. Augustine Bay, which translates to about six or seven ships, and it might not seem like a lot, but it was enough to pose a real threat to the East India Company and therefore the British Empire. 
given that this was one of the peaks of the golden age of piracy, it's really a bit shocking that Captain Kidd, who was here in the region to hunt pirates, was having such a hard time finding any. Among those pirates, though, there are two ships and three captains that I'd like to remind you of before we really get started today. First, there's Dirk Chivers. Chivers had been the quartermaster on board the Portsmouth Adventure during Thomas II and Henry Every's 1695 raid. At the beginning of 1696, he joined the crew of Robert Glover, but Chivers led a mutiny against Captain Glover, and was elected captain of the ship, which he renamed Soldado. Dirk Chivers was among the most successful pirates active in 1696. He took a ton of small prizes and made a decent amount of money doing so, but his crew still lusted after that big score. They just knew there had to be a ship full of gold and princesses out there somewhere. That's why they teamed up with Captain John Hoare of the John and Rebecca. Now, you'll remember these as the pirates that held Aiden hostage, who sent a letter reading, quote, We acknowledge no country, having sold our own, and as we are sure to be hanged if taken, we shall have no scruple in murdering and destroying if our demands are not granted in full. End quote. But of course their demands were not granted in full, they didn't get the ransom, and they just burned a couple of ships. At which point those two ships split up. Dirk Chivers' luck was running thin, though. After they split up, the Soldado was hit by a monsoon and forced to limp back to St. Mary's. On the other hand, John Hoare's John and Rebecca had a much better spring. According to Adam Baldridge of St. Mary's Island, quote, Arrived Captain John Hoare's prize from the Gulf of Persia. Three or four days after, arrived Captain Hoare in the John and Rebecca. The prize, about 300 tons, laden with calico. End quote. That prize, all that calico, turned out to be the richest prize taken since the Gunsway. Calico was a light cotton weave that was all the rage at the moment, so it sold back in Europe for a good price. A couple of weeks after John Hoare arrived at St. Mary's, a merchant ship called the Fortune arrived from New York at St. Mary's Island. Captain Thomas Moston sold his whole cargo of guns and wine and food, powder, clothes, tools, Swords, basically anything that a pirate might need living on a tropical island paradise on the other side of the world. But he bought all of the calico. The surgeon on board the John and Rebecca, a man named Robert Munday, and another sailor named George Cutler, along with another fifteen or so other men, they booked passage to New York on board the Fortune. They made off with about 1,500 pounds sterling each. In modern American dollars, that translates to about 1.2 million. You can see, though, why 17 men decided to leave the pirate life behind. By this point, though, they were nearing the end of 1696. As 1697 began, most of the crew of the John and Rebecca were still there at St. Mary's and the crew of the Soldado was cannibalizing the Amity to make their own repairs. Now, while I may not have told you yet what's about to happen, 
I assure you that that is an ominous statement. This is episode 259, a press gang parody. Now it's time to turn our eyes back to the east, to those pirates so recently escaped from that Indian prison. When we left off, the Elizabeth, George Wallace captain, was waiting out a storm in the port of the Siamese island of Mergui. On board were Captain Wallace, ten men from the East India Company eager to hunt pirates, and a crew of mostly Indian sailors, as well as three pirates, Robert Culliford and two of his companions, tied up below decks. Their journey was to Bengal, where those pirates would be hanged. But as soon as the storm passed, a new ship appeared at the entrance to the harbor. That ship was the 350-ton, 36-gun frigate Mocha. She was a fast, powerful warship, a pirate hunter, and now she was in the hands of a crew of pirates. James Kelly and Ralph Stout had captured her just a few weeks earlier, and the crew had elected Ralph Stout as their captain, James Kelly as the quartermaster. They commanded a crew of 35 pirates. Now, 35 sailors was not a full complement for the Mocha. It was less than half of what the ship would usually consider fully manned, but it was more than enough for the tiny little Elizabeth. And the Elizabeth was trapped here in the port at Mergui. Nine of those men from the East India Company had been officers on board the Mocha prior to the pirates' mutiny, and they were shocked to see the Mocha arrive in their harbor. But this meeting would have been a surprise to the men on board the Mocha as well. In fact, they didn't yet know anything about the Elizabeth, or that she had pirates in captivity on board. This was not some kind of culmination of the pirates' master plan. They had been out on open water when that storm hit, and they needed to make repairs. Mergui was the closest port where they might hope to do so. But it was not ideal. The kingdom of Siam, to whom this port belonged, was not on friendly terms with the English. It was rare that an English ship was allowed to dock in a Siamese port, ever since a bit of unpleasantness between the two nations back in 1687. If not for the storm, I doubt the Siamese would have suffered one English ship, let alone two but they weren't monsters, they would let you make repairs or wait out a storm if necessary. All the same, the Mocha, a pirate ship, remember, followed all the proper procedures. The pirates sent a boat ashore to ask permission from the local governor to stay in port for a while. Now, what followed would have been something of a ballet of ships' boats zigzagging back and forth in the harbor there. Imagine you're one of the men on board the Elizabeth who had formerly been an officer on the Mocha, and you're watching your ship, your former ship, sending a boat to speak to the dockmaster. And there are those pirates, flying company colors, flying English colors, asking permission to dock like they're honorable sailors. Maybe you'd prepare your own boat to go protest this, to inform the governor of exactly who these men really are, but then a swarm of boats would have descended upon the Mocha. Once the Mocha received permission to dock, and they got that permission with no trouble, it was the turn of the merchants. Before the Elizabeth could respond to the governor or to the pirates or to anyone, really, 
maybe as many as a dozen boats, maybe even more, would have rushed the Mocha, carrying everything their hearts might have desired. Let's start off light here. How about, you know, fruit? Imagine boats filled with mandarin oranges and breadfruit, probably some durian fruit, but kaffir limes, and who knows how many fruits we've never heard of and I couldn't hope to pronounce. How about boats carrying fresh, ripe, juicy mango? And what about the beautiful women selling glasses of freshly squeezed juice? Mango orange juice right off the tree sounds pretty nice after weeks at sea and years in a prison. There were merchants selling things like sticky rice and fish and bread. How about rice wine, yam beer, or even rum? If none of that struck your fancy, of course, they had other intoxicating substances available, as well as, of course, the women. Now, Siam had something of an odd custom here. They had brothels, but they operated differently than what you might expect. Instead of purchasing half an hour of a woman's time, you picked one of the women to marry, and paid for the pleasure. But for the duration of your time in port, she would be your wife. There was, naturally, sex involved, but these wives also doted on their husbands. Maybe they'd give the men a bath. In fact, after weeks at sea and years in a prison, you can be sure they did. But they also offered massages and cooking and all of those kind of wifely duties. It was a whole procedure, and these women were trained to make their customers feel like kings. Naturally, whenever the ships would leave port of anybody visiting Siam, their husbands would leave the wives behind, and the wives would divorce their no-good husbands, that was the workaround they had to fit the local morality. But all of that is what the pirates of the Mocha, who had a lot of money on board their newly taken pirate ship, that's what they were offered when they arrived at Siam. I want you to see that it was a very comfortable welcome and that they were unlikely to rush away from this kind of situation. Which is important because those same merchants carried another good. They carried news. In this case, news that that other English ship across the harbor was carrying three pirates as prisoners on their way to be hanged. Now, I doubt the pirates on board the Mocha got their names, but for any ship to be carrying three pirates when three pirates had departed on board the Josiah some weeks earlier, well, that's too coincidental to be a coincidence. Soon enough, after a bit of reconnaissance, both ships knew that the other was an enemy, and the Mocha, a powerful frigate, had the Elizabeth trapped in port. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Wheel of urine! 
Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Napoleon Bonaparte rose from obscurity to become the most powerful and significant figure in modern history. Over 200 years after his death, people are still debating his legacy. He was a man of contradictions, a tyrant and a reformer, a liberator and an oppressor, a revolutionary and a reactionary. His biography reads like a novel, and his influence is almost beyond measure. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast, and every month I delve into the turbulent life and times of one of the greatest characters in history, and explore the world that shaped him in all its glory and tragedy. It's a story of great battles and campaigns, political intrigue, and massive social and economic change, but it's also a story about people populated with remarkable characters. I hope you'll join me as I examine this fascinating era of history. Find The Age of Napoleon wherever you get your podcasts. While the pirates were enjoying their cornucopia, Captain Wallace sent word ashore to the governor, informing him that these men were vile pirates and mutineers, telling the governor that they must be destroyed immediately. That message told the governor that if they worked together, if he were willing to fire his shore batteries at that ship, and maybe send a few men to help, then the Elizabeth could board the Mocha and take her back. But here's the thing. Why would the authorities in Siam care? They've got an English ship in their harbor that is currently spending a fortune on mango juice and other goods, and they've got another English ship telling them, telling them, to fire upon her. And for what? You know, what do they get out of it? To send that ship back to some other English dogs the Siamese don't like? To earn the favor of a company and a kingdom that Siam despises? I mean, why bother with any of that? If anything here, they were on the side of the pirates who were making their merchants rich men. The governor read this message and decided immediately to do nothing. Let the English sort out their own affairs, and if they start shooting, which would be a breach of the neutrality agreement they both made upon docking here, well, his shore batteries could cripple both ships, and then he'd have two new ships. That's the decision to which the governor came, but... He didn't even bother to reply to Captain Wallace. He didn't send any message back. He just put them out of his mind and let the Elizabeth wait. Now on board the Elizabeth, the East India Company men were sharpening their swords. They were getting their blood up for the attack that they knew was coming. But as night came on, and then the dawn, it became clear that no attack was going to happen. Early that following day, the Mocha sent a boat over to demand the Elizabeth return their three compatriots, which is crazy if you think about it. A ship full of outlaws and mutineers, one of whom had killed his own captain, the captain of the men in the Elizabeth, was making demands on lawful English sailors. It was a weird situation, and everyone kind of knew it. 
Richard Zacks calls it a press gang parody, and goes on, quote, Instead of the Royal Navy bullying a merchant ship to hand over seamen, the pirate ship was doing the bullying, end quote. I don't doubt that the absurdity of the situation was not lost on the pirates. There must have been kind of a weird, bizarro world, Saturnalia vibe on board. But the Elizabeth refused, naturally. Still, it's not like the Elizabeth could really do anything about it. If the governor refused to act, they were bound by that agreement of neutrality. Any aggression, and their ship would be seized, and the men on board arrested. And they couldn't leave, either. The pirates were blocking the exit, and would surely break the neutrality if the Elizabeth looked like they were making a break for it. So they all just waited. The Elizabeth seems to have been tense, you know, waiting for the worst here, but the Mocha was loving their time in port. And of course they were. These men had been in prison for years. They'd been at sea for years before that. And before that, they'd all been poor and young. Most of these men had gone to sea when they were still boys. The only attentions most of them had ever received from women had been brief flings in port cities that they'd had to pay for. The only women who had ever, you know, taken care of them had been their mothers. It must have been strange and confusing for some of the pirates, to say nothing of the exoticness of it all. You know, the food and the spices and even the women themselves would have been so different from anything they'd ever known. And I don't doubt that some of the sailors seriously considered staying. Naturally, any who chose to do so would find that a real wife, whom you were not actually paying to dote on you hand and foot, was a very different experience. After about a week of this state of affairs, of watching the pirates on the Mocha spend their hard-earned money, the men on board the Elizabeth were fed up. If the governor refused to act, they had to do something. And what they did was clever. They put Robert Culliford and his fellow pirates in a boat with a single Indian to row, and they sent that boat toward the shore. That Indian bore a note to the governor insisting that these men be hanged. Captain Willis told the pirates before setting out exactly what was on that note and what was going to happen to them. Once that boat set off for the shore, the Elizabeth weighed anchor and made a heading for the harbor entrance, but here's what was clever there. As soon as they sent that boat, the pirates were no longer Captain Willis's concern. It was up to the governor now. Whatever the pirates may do, that was not his problem. He'd done his duty, and I really don't see this as a loophole here. You know, properly he should have gotten them to a port to be hanged, but that was impossible. He was in a bad situation, so this was his best option. However, if his goal had truly been to see those pirates hanged by the governor, he probably would have tried to transport them to the shore in secret. At the very least, he would have had them gagged. But he did none of that. Culliford and the other two pirates were free to make as much ruckus as possible. And they did. They started screaming, Hey, we're going to be hanged, everybody. Take a look over here. This is what's going on. And the pirates of the Mocha noticed what was going on. The Mocha sent out a longboat with twenty men aboard to seize that smaller craft. And they did so easily. No fuss, no fight. But 
With so many men on board that longboat, there were only fifteen pirates left on board the Mocha. With the Elizabeth making her way toward the harbor mouth, there was basically nothing they could do. The Elizabeth was free to make her escape and head on her way to Bengal. And she'd reach Bengal in just a few days, probably a bit over a week, given the winds. That wasn't going to leave a lot of time for the pirates to stay there in Mocha. But once Robert Culliford and his two companions were on board, and the Elizabeth was well out to sea, the pirates called for fruit and wine and meat and beer and three more wives. Their crew was reunited. They were in command of the most powerful pirate ship in the Indian Ocean, probably the entire world. It called for a celebration. Now, I know we might be tempted to picture a rough and rowdy, maybe occasionally violent bacchanal, but we really shouldn't here. Pirates could be violent and cruel even when they were having fun, and they often were. But they weren't monsters, and they were guests in a neutral port, so they had to be respectful. Plus, they had women on board who had proved to be very pleasant company, so... You know, why ruin that pleasant ambiance with bloodshed and brutality when they were among friends? They'd be back to that bloodshed and brutality soon enough. They did have some business to attend to, of course. Now that they were all reunited, as they had planned way back in Bombay, they held their elections. Ralph Stout, as captain, was upheld, but James Kelly was replaced in his role as quartermaster. The crew elected Robert Culliford to take up that role. Finally, after all the positions were filled, they decided to rename the ship. They knew just what they had in the Mocha, just what a powerful ship it was, that it rivaled the fancy. We know today that it wasn't as good as, but could have kept up at least with ships like the Queen Anne's Revenge. The pirates elected to call her Resolution. The night after they held their elections, probably the night they intended to be their last in port, two of the men on board stole away from the Mocha. Now, they were free to do so. Pirates were not going to force you, unless, of course, you were a required role on board. But they also took 4,000 pounds with them. So the pirates sent word to the governor, asking him to return those men with their money, now, the governor did capture those two pirates who were currently trying to slip away, but he chose not to return the money. Once again, though, he didn't send a note to that effect, he just ignored them. The pirates, though, were going to get recompense. There was a Siamese ship in the harbor bearing a load of paintings intended for the royal palace. The pirates boarded her, took all of those exquisite paintings on board the Mocha, and set sail, though they did leave the governor a note informing him that they estimated the value of these paintings to be about 4,000 pounds sterling. So, even Stephen. With that, the pirates made their escape. But I want to leave today reminding you that all this is happening less than a year after Henry Every and his fleet attacked the Ganji Sawai. The East India Company was still in deep water with Aurang Zeb. Their heads were off the chopping block, but any piratical malfeasance would see them right back there. 
and now one of their best ships was in the hands of a pirate crew. And that was really, really bad news. One internal report on the affair addressed to Sir John Gayer read, quote, These villains, having begun with the murder of the commander and the seizing of one of your honor's ships, will doubtless go on in making a prey of any ship they can meet with and master. And the mischief falls heavier on the English than on any other European nation, because the pirate ships pass under the name and colors of the English, and it is known there are many English aboard them. So that whereas the English nation has been generally respected in all parts of India, they will now lie under the character of pirates and robbers, and our soldiers in garrison and our seamen in country and Europe ships will be allured by the pirates' success to run to them as several stragglers have already done. End quote. The response by Sir John Gayer read in part, quote, God preserve innocent men from their villainous and bloody hands. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who has helped to support the show, all of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has recommended us to your friends or family, and everybody who has left us ratings or reviews that help get the show noticed. Without all of you, this wouldn't be possible. Thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows, such as The Sit-Down, a Mafia History Podcast, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. You can always check them out at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G dot com dot A-U. After you're done over there, why not check out our website at piratehistorypodcast.com. As always, and most importantly, thank you for listening. Tonight